Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. Thank you, Aaron. Changing a brewery's direction midstream is a difficult challenge no matter what the brewery's size. Aaron and I went to Morgantown, West Virginia recently to see the owners of Morgantown Brewing Company who have accomplished a most successful brewery turnaround. Four years ago, two young men took over a staid old brewery that had grown pretty stagnant in both its operational model and its beer selection. They remade it into a profitable, flexible, even sometimes exotic beer destination. Their story provides great insight into how a small brewery business can benefit from some basic re-engineering, new thinking, and the ability to pivot. Here with us today, we have co-owner and brewer Chris DeFazio. Welcome. Howdy. Howdy. And also, we have co-owner and brewer Cody Cheesebro. Hello, hello. Guys, it's uh, been about four years since you guys bought this place and took it over and became the uh, proud brewers and owners at the venerable Morgantown Brewing Company. What gave you the idea that you wanted to pretty much turn the brewing program upside down here and... uh, (laughs) shake it up and do a total reset oh we definitely figured this out through uh the school of hard knocks mm-hmm. <laughs> we we were both in our senior year of uh, school at wvu and after we started our contract brewing company pub stomper the first batch of beer that we uh brewed with that company we made about thirty thousand cans of beer that we had to dump down the drain because the seaming operation just wasn't working on the canning line so to make the money back from that, we started brewing small batches here at the, the brew pub. Uh-huh. And in doing that, we sort of did the back of the envelope math and realized like, wait a minute, I feel like there's a way better way that this place could be operating instead of distributing kegs all over the place. And with, I mean, obviously a ton of different factors all came together to have us make that decision, but it was certainly, we wouldn't have known how to operate all of this and have known the things we knew about how the company was working at the time without being in here and brewing those batches early on. Without some suffering. Yeah. I uh, was hoping, Chris, maybe you could take me through your view on that same, this major steps you went through in this transition. Yeah. Yeah. So like Cody said, I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, like I think that uh, pain breeds strength. Um, and uh, <laughs> that was just probably one of like the most stressful, painful times in like at least my life. I, I think probably, probably Cody too. Um, just, you know, there was a point where you know, we were just fresh out of school, um, spending like several hours a day, uh, when we weren't working our day jobs in a cold warehouse, um, you know, sorting through cans, trying to figure out which ones had leaks, scrubbing the good ones down with toothbrushes and packaging them back (laughs) up for resale, double checking them, triple checking them. I don't know if you've ever had, um, sleep paralysis or night terrors, but uh, I, I, yeah. I found out what that's like, um, but but yeah, we learned a lot from that experience, and we sort of learned you know what works and what doesn't, and um, we we looked at um, the the numbers here, and you know we spent a lot of time trying to just figure out like how can we make this work because it's just such a great opportunity, um, and it just sounded like so much fun, um, and yeah, I think the logic was basically just um, what do we want to see. Um, as people who, you know, are, we're craft beer drinkers ourselves, um, which is, you know, variety and like Mm -hmm. keeping it fresh and new stuff on tap all the time. 
What would you call uh, your biggest challenges as far as the ha- making the makeover happen? I would say we, we started in 2018. Right. Um, and I think there the challenge was, um, you know, changing out like the old paradigm, uh, the old way of doing things, um, and then getting customers to sort of like accept that. Because, you know, for the most part, the reception was great. I mean, people really wanted to see new gear. Um, they wanted to, to see the changes that we were making. But of course, you also had pushback. You have right. legacy customers who have been, you know, regulars at the previous business for a long time. Um, and, you know, they were sad to see some of the old, old you know, beers go. Um, but I think what's comforting to a lot of our legacy customers is just that, like, you know, we bring stuff back. Um, you know, we, we always keep the Alpha Blonde on and, you know, we're always... We're always cycling through um, old recipes, and you know we're going to bring um, the uh, Technicolor Triple back, for example, which is uh, a great recipe um, for a tripel uh, that that's that's coming back soon. And we're just always bringing old stuff like that back. So so that was something in the beginning, and then of course we had a little bit of time before um, all hell broke loose in the pandemic and that was a completely (laughs) different set of challenges altogether right but going back to your first year there uh, too i want to make sure cody you get me a little input on this Um, as far as challenges for you and missteps yeah like really the missteps (laughs) might have been yeah we've had we've had plenty of plenty of missteps luckily we haven't made any mistakes that have been too big or ones that have been too hard to just realize like okay that was kind of a stupid idea let's just not do that anymore we'll just go back to how things used to be We've had, you know, failed batches of beer and recipes that we thought were going to be this great thing, and then it winds up just sitting on tap for 10 months. We can't ever sell through it. We just dumped the last two kegs out of self-pity because it, it, just, <laughs> it just wasn't a good idea in the first place. So let's just move on and try to do better. Oh, the, the woes of brewing. Yes. Yeah. With that being said, we've also had a lot of really big hits. We also faced a lot of, like, infrastructural challenges just with being in a historic building in a downtown area. I I'm mean, sure we're sort of at the mercy of all of the other infrastructure that's around us when it comes to electrical problems and water problems, which breweries are highly demanding of both of those resources. So geographically, we're not in the best place for manufacturing, even though we're in a great place for retailing. Well, can you explain a little bit more about how you measured your progress towards meeting your goals? Oh, we have we have tons of metrics that you measure success by. I think that a lot of really short-sighted companies measure success like only on revenue. Like, okay, we're making this many dollars this month and then this many dollars this month. And so this month was more successful than the month before. It really just isn't that way. And the fact of the matter is most companies are profitable for certain parts of the year and aren't profitable for other parts of the year. So a lot of our metric of success is social. So it's more, it's less about how much money we're making right this very second on in the middle of February when it's cold and snowing outside. It's much more about how, as silly as it might sound, social media following. Because right. the people that follow you and are actually interested in what you're doing day to day, keeping it updated and keeping ha- people uh, refreshed with what's going on, literally like on a granular level day to day, those are active customers that actually will come in and that later translates to revenue. So it's it's much better to measure your success based on like how many people's lives are we affecting positively rather than... You know, the revenue or dollar sales. Exactly. Right. Well, how, if you'll take this, Chris, how then do you think you then arrived at, okay, we, we've gotten to our destination. We've gotten to where we want to be. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't think we have uh, completely. You know, I mean, it's always like we're always setting new goals for ourselves. And, um, you know, 
like before the pandemic, obviously, you know, we had goals that like, you know, we thought we'd reach in a, in less sure. than a year's time. Um, and then it happened. So, you know, there's still a lot that, that, that needs to happen that we'd like to do. But, um, but I, you know, I think that, um, I think that Cody hit the nail on the head. I, I, I think that, um, the way, the best ways that we measure, uh, our success is just in, you know, like how we're positively affecting, uh, the community here in Morgantown and also just the West Virginia beer community at large. Um, you know, and we've got a lot of, uh, we've gotten a lot of things done on that front as well. And, it, you know, um, working with other breweries on the guild and, and stuff like that. Um, so, so that's, that, that's a good big, measure for you. That's a good measure for me. Sure. Yeah. We also take a huge amount of pride when, when the pandemic first happened and everything sort of shut down overnight a lot of restaurants treated that as a moment to like, okay, let's go to sleep for three months and then we'll come back and do the exact same thing that we were doing for years before. It's all well and good, but I know a lot of restaurants that that strategy really didn't work for. So we treated it as a big reset. And a lot of people that worked here at the time moved on and did other things with their lives, which was a pattern that you see all across the whole country. And a lot of them bettered their lives and are now doing better things. So that's that was a great part of it. And what we had the opportunity to do after everything opened back up was we wanted to make sure that our restaurant was one of the best places that a person could work. When If you're a person who's around college age in Morgantown, you're looking for a part-time job, our goal was we wanted to make sure that when you're looking at Morgantown Brewing Company, oh, they're hiring, I want us to be people's first pick for where they want to come and work. Sure. And there's all kinds of different stuff that we've done to incentivize people to want to not only work here, but to stay here long-term. And I think that one of the best measures of success that we've had has been, our turnover has been astoundingly low, especially when people are all talking about like the anti-work movement and the great resignation or whatever you want to call it. We right. haven't really seen that at all because we created opportunities for people that were better than what a lot of other alternatives might've been, at least locally in Morgantown for these few years of life, which, for as simple as that might sound, it's something that took a lot of thinking and took a lot of strategizing for and it's something we're proud of. Sure. Yeah, to not have a lot of turnover in a brew pub is a big deal. I mean, especially in a college town. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, this brew pub's been here for many, many years. And uh, you, like you said, had staff that you inherited with the place when you bought it. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, some of those people moved on, or probably most of them by now. But it, do you think you've... Uh, improved i mean the ways to measure that the staffing oh, yeah. today has improved in its quality drastically yeah. yeah i think the changes that we sought out to make we we made really effectively um and you know a big part of that goal was um it definitely cuts into our margin um but it just feels better to sleep at night um you know knowing that we're paying our staff really well uh, when we first started, you know, the conversation I would hear all the time is like, uh, you know, lunch is slow. I'm not making any tips. Um, you know, I'm not going to go home with any money. And I, I mean, it pains you to hear that, sure. like, uh, as a business owner, um, like you want to provide a place to work that like is enjoyable to work and, you know, helps pays, them pays the bills. Yeah. Right. Um, so now, you know, um, we're, uh, our, our minimum, um, is, you know, $15 an hour, uh, with 
with tips, which are, are pooled. Um, so everybody across like the entire restaurant, except for salaried employees as part of that pool, um, which I think has, you know, a lot of benefits and not just like, uh, monetary and making sure that everyone's paid, but also it gets everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um, that was our big goal was, you know, uh, we've worked in a lot of restaurants where, you know, maybe the, the front of house gets tipped like really well. And, you know, they'll be setting with the kitchen guys at the bar after work, you know, being like, Oh, I made like a thousand dollars in tips tonight. Like, um, which doesn't really feel very fair considering that, you know, uh, they wouldn't have anything to serve to those customers without those guys back there in the kitchen. So it's all a cohesive team. And that was our goal with, uh, with tip pooling. And I think that we, we pulled that off really successfully because now the kitchen is also like excited when we get busy. Mm -hmm. Everyone, everyone's excited to be busy. No one's like, uh, you know, like I've got to do all this work and like, you know, someone else is going to see all the the benefit from that. We're all, we're all, we're all like a much more cohesive team. I love your analysis of that. And Mm -hmm. I love how you put a priority on really taking care of your employees. Mm -hmm. That's uh, great to hear from a West Virginia brewery. Well, guys, let's move on to where Morgantown Brewing is today. And how would you describe to beer fans where you see Morgantown Brewing fitting into the beer scene here in Morgantown and in craft beer in general, West Virginia? We, We definitely have our own place in the great pie of Morgantown beer. This was another decision that we made very, very purposefully. When you go out to eat in Morgantown, obviously there's several watering holes. Everybody has their favorite, and you sit down at the bar. Wow, they've got 20 taps, and it's it's a lot of very familiar names, and it's a lot of places. There's only so many breweries in the state. We very deliberately made the decision that we weren't ever going to compete in any of those markets. We were only going to sell our beer here at the brew pub, and we were never, ever going to distribute anywhere else, and we weren't going to sell anybody else's beer here. So the idea was... We make something that's completely different from everybody else that's out there, but there's only one place that you can go to get it. And so it, it's an interesting place to be sitting because there's sort of like our brewery and then there's everywhere else that you right. can go and it, like everywhere else has, obviously there's special kegs that come through and certain people get special this and that, but every single thing we do is special. And that's, it, people ask if we do tap takeovers. Well, no, we, we do a tap takeover every single day, right? right. At the brewery, you just have to come and see what we've been working on for the past two months and you know two months from now we're gonna have a totally different tap list coming out so it's it's worked so far and we've seen very little reason to change our philosophy on it and so it, it's it's something we're gonna stick with Chris uh, what role do you guys see for special events such as your um, what do you call winter beer festival you did recently yeah um, so that was an idea that Cody and I had um, again really like it felt like a revelation at the time um, when we first uh, took over was you know we we were looking at those numbers right and we were like wow like you know like one day just really stood out to us which was Oktoberfest every year they would do their annual Oktoberfest and everyone would say like wow you know Oktoberfest is a big deal that's our biggest day of the year Um, and when we said to ourselves like huh interesting like why don't we just do more days like Oktoberfest so we thought you know uh, let's feature uh, our friends in the craft beer industry um, in West Virginia, um, and let's do uh, an IPA festival. Let's do a sour festival. Let's do a winter beer festival. You know, we try to do one every season, and we're thinking about expanding it um, because it just really brings a ton of people out. People seem to really love the festivals. Um, we're thinking about trying to just see how many 
uh, events people would be interested in attending um, and just feature as much West Virginia craft beer um, as we possibly can um, because, you know, like I said, the, those are our best days of the year. They're also a lot of fun for us, too. I mean, it's really cool to just see so many people in here. Um, I think for this Winter Beer Festival, you know, we had probably at least, like, 500 people through the door wow um, that's a lot at least at yeah. least, at least. Um, probably just 500 people in the restaurant at any given time <laughs> yeah. i'm curious to hear about your beer beer sales and how they've trended coming out of the pandemic operational mode yeah there's been there have been a lot of forces at work with all of that uh we just i'm sure you haven't interviewed a single brewery that in the past couple of years that haven't said okay well the pandemic happened and so we got a canning line if they didn't already have one (laughs) we finally uh right after sort of the first like alpha wave i think it came like january 2020 is when we got it was a 2021 we got a can 21 year ago it was just a year ago yeah feels like a lot longer because you were waiting on (laughs) it right because we were canning everything by hand Mm -hmm. one by one by one out of the tap faucets before that This will do cans much, much faster than that. Still one by one, but about eight times faster. So for a long time, especially in the cold months, it was a ton of to-go sales. Uh, when we started doing sours, they sold like like wild. I mean, it was crazy. Like we could not make them fast enough and keep them on tap because the sours would just fly out. Like we would, we would brew a 10-barrel batch of this and tap it, and the beer was gone two weeks later, and people are showing up like, dude, I drove three hours to get this beer. And oh, like, wow. The whole batch is gone. It's like... <laughs> I can't get ingredients delivered fast enough because of all the supply chain issues to keep it on. Strangely, the sour sales have kind of fallen off and what's really, really picked up is the like, what's your just normal beer.com? That's, I think that what it is is more people are just leaving the house and going out more often. And Mm -hmm. it was really like the diehard fans that will like, you know, traverse through the snow and pandemic to go and get this 11% cheesecake sour. Right. But it's more like, okay, this is a family of five coming in and the after church crowd kind of thing. And so we're selling much more of our normal sessionable German style Pilsners, a lot of alpha blonde, a lot of, we sold a Hefeweizen batch. We did 30 barrels of, and we sold it in the winter pretty quickly just because it was, what's your yellow fizzy beer? Like what's a good, okay, I have that one. What's your other yellow fizzy beer? So that's kind of what our tab list is going to be geared towards at least for this coming season. But we don't plan anything out. Well, I remember when we talked to you a little over a year ago now, um, it was, you know, you've just been through a lot of the pandemic and you were saying that, yeah, the, the crowd that comes in to drink on premise and sit at the bar that were coming in during even the pandemic, that they were wanting the, the, the special crazy beers, the exotic beers, the sour, fruited up sours and things. And that you said it was more the sales for your traditional styles were had been down mm-hmm. and you thought it was more due to the fact that the the, the people, the customers that normally drink those, which are a lot of the people come into conferences or For to business. visit the university mm-hmm. or passing through town. And so like that crowd was depressed because of the yes. pandemic. They right. weren't, there were no conferences in town and, and special events around the town. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of, now you feel we've come out of that a bit? Definitely. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can, it's, if you take like the sales of a tourism brewery and you just put them on a chart against the COVID cases, the two are like inverses <laughs> of each other. It's it, regardless of whether it's lockdowns or there's just a certain percentage of the population that just isn't comfortable leaving the house and going out to eat and doing luxury things like right. going to a tourism brewery and having a beer poured for you and sitting at the bar. There's tons of people that are very cavalier and are perfectly comfortable kind of no matter what the climate is outside. And so there's, 
there's a baseline and then as the COVID numbers go down, you get a lot of extra sales on top of that from all the people who are now more comfortable leaving the house with the weather getting better, the cases going down. I can go and eat outside, which right. is, that's another really big thing that people love. So as far as 2021 goes, your beer volume in barrels, could you throw a guesstimate out there or an idea of, of what you ended up with? It was something like 300 barrels for the whole year, which isn't stellar, but for, no, I think it was a bit more than that. I think it was closer to five, four, four or 500, somewhere between there. I'd have to check the paperwork, but it's somewhere, it's somewhere in there. Our volume went way down, even just when we quit doing distribution. Our, the volume of beer that we were producing went down about 65%, and then it's been slowly building up from that over the course of the four years since we've owned the business. We've never sold a keg to a distributor. So right. as soon as we bought the business, the production volume went down off of a cliff. Revenue stayed relatively the same, and expenses went way, way, way down. That was sort of what the whole plan was, was it's not that you're going to make a ton of extra money from not doing distribution. It's just that you don't have to spend nearly as much. So, Regarding your beer volume, the percentage of draft versus your canned beer, talk about that some as far as what you're seeing now that you are doing some canning. And sure, yeah. Um, I think that, I mean, draft definitely um, still outweighs can sales uh, like a good bit. Um, you know, we're not really distributing cans. So all basically, you know, people come in, they have a few beers here and then they take some home for their friends and family and that's kind of the idea behind just cold box sales yeah. yeah exactly yeah the can sales were necessarily supplemental during the worst of the pandemic when we weren't allowed to have anybody in the restaurant or even right. on the deck with the restrictions we we had to be selling cans we had to have a much more efficient way to make them now that the restaurant can be open to full capacity and in the market and just in people's minds it's it's more safe to go out we're seeing we still sell a lot of cans but it's not that people are like driving here from their house an hour away to buy these cans it's much more of a oh we're walking out the door wow they've got that can that i just had two of with dinner i think i'll bring home a four pack so my wife can try it too it's it's just a different kind of sale but the 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 can sales have stayed constant and our restaurant sales have gone up so the ratio of canned versus canned versus uh in-house has gone down that makes sense i can see that coming out of the pandemic yeah and and i mean that being said you know whenever we do release like you know especially sours still i think um there is definitely a big influx the day they're released and um yeah i mean there's still that there's still that first yeah immediately for a while people knew like if it's a morgantown brewing sour you better get there like the hour they open or else they're going to be out because you know, we'd advertise we have a new beer and we'd have six cases of it mm-hmm. sitting in the fridge or something. But now that we have a canning line, we run out far less often. I'm it's, sure. We were able to make beer much, much in higher volume. So now we're kind of always trying to calculate. We're canning once a week. So like how many cans are we going to sell just for this week? So we're just enough, just in time. Classic Toyota method. Makes sense. <laughs> well, talking about your canning, um, you work with uh, artist Liz Pavlovic, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's a, a relationship that you still have and still oh, utilize yeah. her artwork for your canes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're good friends with Liz. Um, she's, she's great. She comes to all of our festivals and, you know, events like her art. And she does shirts and stickers. Okay. And, um, yeah, so we, we definitely, like, 
really value that relationship with her and also nobody nobody loves the new can artwork more than the people that work here i think that's like the number one question that i get it's it's never about anything logistical about the business it's always just you got that new can art yet I really yeah want, they want to see, see what the new can's gonna look like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like cracking the box open everybody wants to see the fresh stickers we'll put some of those uh cans up on the uh website for this you know uh, for this article and for this podcast and all, but um, why don't you just take a stab at somebody kind of describing the, what your take on that style of art that, that Liz does for your cans. It's very whimsical. It's very, yeah. it's sort of, uh, it's very like fun loving and cartoonish. And it, the thing that I love the most about it is that most of, of her art, not necessarily the art that she designs for our cans, but just her art style in general is very local centric. And it's all about just the goofy idiosyncratic things that West Virginia has that other places <laughs> just don't like yeah. all these strange cryptid stories and pepperoni rolls yes and yeah. ramps and ginseng and all like the, just yeah. the strange stuff that comes from here that that's she's really dug her heels into what makes West Virginia kind of unique and in a lot of ways a little bit in her words I guess creepy mm-hmm. yeah. and it, it's definitely resonated not only with us but with also with thousands of other people and I can see why I'm um, getting back to 2021 and as far as ending how did your food sales turnout I know it was smash burger sort of focus with all of these crazy beers but how did the food side work out for you all yeah um so that was something that you know was a tough decision at the start of the pandemic um uh, which there were many <laughs> but uh that was something that we decided to do um and I think it's actually turned out to be um you know a big success um is changing our menu um consolidating it um, you know, just trying to decide sort of what, what were people really, you know, coming out for. Um, and so, yeah, we, we tried to focus the menu a little bit more. Um, and I think that it's, it's really paid off in, in food sales and it's also made for a much more sustainable business. Um, you know, we had such a large menu before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you see this in a lot of restaurants with very large menus is that there's food waste. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tried to cut back on that as much as possible, which there's almost no food waste now. Um, we also had very long ticket times. Um, and now they're down to, you know, the longest ticket time we ever have is like 20 minutes. Um, so yeah, our goal was, uh, you know, making it easier on our staff, um, making it a better experience for our customer and cutting down on food waste. And I think we achieved all of those things. That being said, we're also going to start bringing back uh, a few menu items. A lot of it's a a problem with philosophy that brewers have. There's, there's definitely this pervasive idea that's like, okay, you know, I've, I've got the money. I love beer. I want to make beer. I'm going to open a brewery. And then later on this afterthought is like, okay, well to get people to come and like keep their butts in a seat, you've got to also have food. Right. Right. Just pretzels isn't going to be enough. Nobody wants to hear this, but it's true. A brew pub is a restaurant that makes beer. Yes. It is a it is a restaurant first, but just one thing that you have on the menu is it also happens to have the equipment that it makes its own beer. There's so many people that swear that up and down, no, 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 we are a brewery first, but it's just, you can't look at a balance sheet of any brew pub and tell me that it isn't a restaurant first. It's, right. It's just the reality of how the, how the business works. So that's how we treat it. Okay. Well, while you guys were making all of these changes, and as you know, we talked about the pandemic changing thing, et cetera, or changing things, um, as far as your staff, back to your staff, how has your staff changed? Has it grown? Have you, you know, added positions you didn't realize you needed? You know, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, we, so when we first took over and everything was more of like a full service model, there were all kinds of different, we had hosts and barbacks and 
there were kitchen guys, but there were, you know, some of them obviously were much more trained than others. And so there were different tasks back there. There were the brewers, kind of some of them had some things they knew how to do. Like, obviously, brewing is the last thing you learn. So some brewers knew how to do that. (laughs) Just were cleaning kegs. Right. So one thing we wanted to do was like, okay, from now on, there's back of house, there's front of house, and there's brewing. Those are the three camps. And if you work in one of those camps, you need to know how to do every single job in that camp. And once you, like, know how to do the whole job, then you're in the tip pool with everybody else in their own camps. Okay. So the idea is if everything is working smoothly, every like we have customers coming in, food is going out quickly, the beer tastes great, the kegs are ready, the service is good, the tips are going to be good, everyone's going to make more money. Right. It's, philosophically, it's just such a better system. I think it took some people a little bit of time to wrap their heads around that like, okay, everything is everybody's problem. And it's not that, you know, this is my job and this right. is what I do and I stand right here and if no one comes and talks to me, I don't have a single issue. I think another change that we made was we just philosophically started hiring a different kind of person. In, mm. in Morgantown, there's all kinds of different people, but a lot of our hiring pool is people who are largely in their early 20s mm-hmm. in town for the next couple of years and have something else going on in their life that takes up a ton of time. Usually school, a couple of kids in like the National Guard or mm-hmm. people who are running small businesses on their own. These are the exact kind of people we love to hire because if you're young and in town for a few years, that's great. You're gonna work your few years, we're gonna peacefully say goodbye, and then you go on to greener pastures. If you have something else that you're doing in your life that you take seriously, it means you're gonna take your job at the brew pub seriously too. Sure. So the people that we've hired since the brew pub, it hasn't been typical high restaurant turnover. I quit because I don't like this job anymore. It's more, I quit because I finished my degree and you know I have a job offer at this Moving place on. that's far away. Right. So it's, we've built a lot of great relationships with the people that have been working for us since the pandemic and it's been it's it's i think the change in philosophy has made things better for everybody involved that's good yeah and it's great to see um some of those people come back to and visit us you know sure um some of our old brewers like who you know like graduated and moved on and yeah you know um just like coming back in and yeah for game days and stuff like that so what is your probably total uh, employment now, full-time employment or whatever you want to call oh, it. Chris uh, would know. How many people um, it's have? about 30 right now. Yeah. yeah that, which it, is, that's a good size. Yeah. It's, it's still down from um, pre-pandemic, sure. but um, a lot of that is to do with, a lot of that's just to do with, uh, you know, the fact that, um, you know, our business model did change. Right. Um, also, when we, I think when the pandemic first happened, we had, I think, 40 employees and now we have 30. I think that the difference in 10 is it's I think the same number of hours are being worked. It's just we had yeah. a handful of employees that kind of only worked here and there. So we have people sure, on payroll, sure. but now everyone's working and making a living wage. Well, let's move over to your uh, current beer taps and beer styles of the current period. I don't mean don't look back a year, but just kind of like what you're doing this this winter, and mm-hmm. this what you expect to do this spring. Uh, Walk me through what you think are some of your better selling styles and also give me a little description of kind of a profile of the customers that support those different style categories. Oh, yeah. Can I take this one? Yeah. Okay. We had, <laughs> we Go d- for it, Cody. We, so when we took over, we initially said like, okay, we're going to have kind of like three camps of beers that we brew. 
there's going to be every brewery has to make traditional German beers because if you don't, there's always going to be some guy in a hat that uh-huh. comes in that says like, well, when I was in college, like the best. They always, mm. you have to make something that is yellow and fizzy and yes. tastes exactly the same way that it's supposed to. That every other brewery does it exact. Like you got to make those kind of beers. <laughs> so we love the Hefeweizen. We love making Vienna lagers and the Kolsch and all these classic European styles that have been so popular for so many years keeps the lights on Mm -hmm. it's nice because the the grain isn't mega expensive to make those and so they're a good margin product we also know that there's a big crowd of people that you're going to get a lot of clout and a lot of street cred in the brewing industry if you're making just the craziest wackiest stuff that's out there like there's value in people turning their phones to one another and showing them an instagram post like look at this crazy cheesecake beer this like this beer that has a thousand ding-dongs in it or something (laughs) else that we've made like people will show up and buy one of our normal beers because they know we have this crazy stuff. And they, they love, oh my God, wow, look at all these wacky beers that are on the tap list. I'll have your Golden Boy Kolsch. That's, that's like the number one thing that we hear. So you have certain beers that bring people in, certain beers that actually sell and are like the rock stars of the tap list that keep the lights on. And then the one that sort of like sits on the outskirts is the IPAs, which is another one that we kind of brew, like it's my favorite kind of beer both to brew mm-hmm. and to drink. But I realize that there's so many breweries that are out there that all want to be like the IPA guys and mm-hmm. that's like what they do and they put all their time into making the best IPAs. And it's not that it's a a style that we've just abandoned, but it's one that we're we're kind of thinking that okay, we're gonna have like one house IPA, we'll rotate through and do a double here and there just so like there's something hoppy for when people come in. But in general, if you're in Morgantown and you're thinking to yourself, I love IPAs, where am I gonna go to get an IPA? There's like I think 70 places that I can think of like right off the top of my head. (laughs) We're obviously one of them, but there's not any other place that you can get one of the Morgantown Brewing Company sours. And so that's, it's, it's just where we sit into the market with it. Mm -hmm. The other great thing about the sours too. I mean, there's a reason why our sour festival is, you know, typically that's our best selling sales day in the company's history year over year. Um, this past year, even with the pandemic, it was actually our best sales day on record, Wow! even with the pandemic. Um, and I think that reason is that it bridges the gap for non beer drinkers as well. Um, you know, we, I hear all the time that, uh, it kind of reminds me of what happened with, um, hazy IPAs, you know, low bitterness IPAs. Uh, You'd hear a lot of customers say like, well, I don't like IPAs, uh, too bitter. And you'd have to try to convince them like, you know well, try this one. It's, it, it, it's not what you're thinking of. It's not, you know, uh, a torpedo or a pallet wrecker or something like yeah. that. That's gonna, you know, just be so, so bitter. It's tropical, it's fruity. Um, but the thing with the sours is you don't have to convince them. Um, you tell somebody, you know, this, uh, this is, uh, <laughs> you know, it has like hundreds of pounds of, of fruit. fruit. Um, and you know, almost anybody's on board. Um, so yeah, it bridges the gap and it's also just a lot of fun to make. There's huge power in the in the brewing space if you're able to get customers to say, I hate blank, but I love this. Mm-hmm. I hate IPAs, but we I hear love all this. The time, yeah. I hate lagers, but I love this. I hate sours, but I love this. Every beer that we have on our tap list is designed to try to get the person that typically hates that style to love it. And it's, it's, that's how we formulate all of our recipes. I think there's a lot of people in the industry that are thinking like, how do we go bigger and stronger and more hardcore? And we're kind of thinking like, how do you nail like the optimized tip of the histogram? Like, how do you make the perfect, the perfect, the perfect blend? Well, that kind of takes me into my next question. So, this is regarding your current uh, beer sales strategy. So, what's the mix of repeating beers versus new one-off beers? 
we had a, a moment of self-actualization when we made, <laughs> we went on Untapped and realized that the Hefeweizen that we were about to release was the 100th recipe that, just that we have made in the four years that we've owned the company. Wow. And so we were like, okay, we've, instead of giving this one whatever other name we were going to give it, it's got to be named Mr. 100 Worldwide and celebrate the fact <laughs> this is our 100th recipe. <laughs> and then we kind of thought, okay, every time we think of a new recipe now, it's like, we're just sort of like adding on to this like pile of corpses in the backyard it's so much better to think back through and think, okay, what were like the, the killers? Like what was yeah. the best stuff that we ever made? And then we just rank those number one through number 10 and that gets thrown into the tap list. So now instead of like every time we're making beers, it's okay, what are the four new things we're going to be releasing in these couple of months? It's one or two new names and then three or four old names coming back. The Listen To series is the classic. So it's like once a year, we're able to pretty much cycle through all of the Listen To beers. So right. if there's one you love, you can come back for it. So the Golden Boys, the things of that, the traditional style beers are also... Those are permanent staples. They're all... Yes. You try to always... Yes. Have try to always have... Yes. The Blonde. Blonde. of course. We're, um, we're, trying to make, we're trying to make face tattoos a permanent staple, but it's tough to keep that and one on tap because we do it in 10 barrel batches to keep it really, really fresh. So it's, and I think that's one we're going to be tasting here in a minute. Yes, that's right. Yeah. A really fresh tattoo. batch of it, too. So you'll hear all about that. Uh, What's the current role for your weird water hard seltzer line? Yeah. Um, so I think that we're transitioning that to... we we Sometimes we have those on tap, but we're transitioning to just have seltzers in cans um, because what we found is that um, it's just something that people just want to take to go. Right. Um, it's, it's awesome. You know, uh, if you're, you're, you know, for a hot day at the pool, sure. or, you know, on a hike or something like that. Um, day at the lake people day at the lake. Yep. That's, the the that's seltzers are actually seltzers. great for that. There's also a big, still a big gluten-free crowd. Yeah. That's true, so too. we do sell them in house. So we just do can sales in house. Uh, we also have bottled cider from elsewhere for them too. And oh. Our ciders are, are quite good from Bold Rock and Hawk Knob and from whatever else. So I imagine like if I was a person that didn't consume any gluten, that's probably what I would be drinking. Oh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, you guys have accomplished a big turnaround and you've made tremendous progress in rebranding Morgantown Brewing. Now you've weathered a pandemic. Uh, you have a lot to be proud of. But how do you maintain this momentum into the future? Oh, man. Well, we have a meeting once a week. We actually have it today right after this. And the, the big question we ask ourselves is like, okay, how, how do we stay competitive? What's happening around Morgantown? What's happening like around the greater world? And what do we need to be doing in the next week? What do we need to be doing over the next like six months? And what do we need to be doing over the next like five years to make sure that every single year that we have from here on out isn't going to be worse than the year before barring some sort of black swan event like the pandemic <laughs> or something like that we took a while but we finally yeah. forgave yeah, ourselves yeah. Like, yeah. it's okay it's, it's okay Truly. that 2020 was not nearly as good as 2019 <laughs> but it's all right because 2021 was better and i don't think anyone in the business world has used the word projections since the year 2020 but if, <laughs> if that is still a thing that even exists hopefully 2022 is going to be better than 2021 was but yeah I there was a while there where <laughs> we just stopped looking at like it was just a little bit like painful to look at projections because we were just like yeah uh, that's that's what <laughs> a, that's what a cliff looks like better, yeah. not, to, better I, not to look yeah <laughs> But it's been clawing its way back out over several months. It's looking like if, if the sales for this year are keep following the similar trend that they have for this month so far, we're getting close to what the sales of like 2019 were. Oh, that's great. So well, still not completely there, but close. 
could you divulge a couple of long-range ideas that you guys may be bouncing around during these meetings that you said that you have weekly? Yeah, um, I think right now um, what we're bouncing around is just, you know, how do we how do we get back to where we were in 2019? And I think that's happening. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're basically just right now just trying to um, – trying to collect ourselves and get back to where we were before um because before this you know we were planning maybe opening another tap room um we were uh planning on you know uh buying new equipment that's going to you know improve the uh the allow us to make beer at uh, a different level mm-hmm. um you know uh, we looked at different like hop guns and we're, we're hoping that, that uh, one day soon, maybe at the end of this year, we can start having those kind of conversations. Yeah, the conversations are far more benign than one might think. It's it's nothing visionary. It's usually things like, what if we have like a bingo night once a week? <laughs> <laughs> that was like the biggest decision that we've made. But there's, you know, there's only so much you can really control about the market. We right. Can, we can control what we offer, but it's not like we can force people to come into the door. So we're really, we're, we're just asking ourselves the question, like, how do we make this place the most fun is really a better way of wording it than staying competitive it just sounds too too buzzwordy how do we become more synergistic so on the horizon then for morgantown brewing there's not you know an immediate maybe we'll expand or or our, open our like you said year, a tap room five-year plan as as of this point is we're going to keep doing what we're doing and we're going to pay the business off because that's we've been around the block a couple of different times and we've met with a couple of different names and seen a couple of different places and come up with a couple of different business plans and mm-hmm found some ideas of places that like yeah we could make extra beer here and send it to a different tap room and likely double our revenue sure but we've always come to the conclusion that in order to do that we'll have to either more than double our expenses or we'll have to over leverage ourselves by you know taking out a loan financially right way way bigger than we'd ever need to do it doesn't make any sense to take out a loan to start a separate company when we could take out a loan to pay the rest of this business off and as far as distribution plans obviously you don't distribute Right. Not until the laws change. So I'm going to do every podcast. I give the same plug. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hope. A year or so ago, you said you hoped that things would be changing in that year, which was a right. year ago. So this, this is our number one guild priority, at least for us as a, as, a, as a company, what we hope that the guild moves forward with is we would love for beer franchise agreements and distributor agreements to last for like a term. Two years or something, I think, is the number that we've all been throwing out. That finite, some kind of finite term. Finite term. Just and like that would probably be, you're talking for small breweries, not for yeah, right, big exactly. guys. Just distribution is something for us that's extremely optional. We don't have to be doing this by any means. It'd be a luxury. It'd be nice if we could sure, sell sure. a keg yeah. to Apothecary here and there and like have our beer around town. But it's as of right now, it's just something we can't do until we get the, the legislation yeah, changed. It does sound like you've developed a business plan that doesn't require distribution. Right yep. now, here with the with the brew pub, and it's working for you. That was yeah, that was the original goal. Yeah, um, I had one other thing I wanted to know about as far as collaborations for Morgantown Brewing Company. Anything coming up? Um, we just talked to um, Short Story this weekend, um, and uh, I think we might do something with them. But yeah, we we love those guys, so we're definitely excited to do do something with them. We've also Great. talked to, to High Ground. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some um, some collaborations I think coming, coming up. up. Yeah. That's great. Looking forward to that for sure. Yeah. 
Um, do you work with any other local artists? I know we talked about the the woman that does your can uh, labels generally, but is yeah, there anyone yeah. else locally that you work with? Liz does the actual branding for the company, and then we do, we have a lot of art events, actually. We have local artisans, both just kind of in their own right, that we sort of jury ourselves. We'll have pop-up events about once a month. Where, actually one oh, this, wow. That's this Saturday. Yeah, this Saturday. It's very regular. Yeah, we're artists come and set up in the speakeasy and you can come and grab a beer and then you can walk around the speakeasy and check out all the local art and jewelry and oh, that's prints. great there's just there's all kinds of stuff yeah. down there clothing sales and there's tons and tons of stuff we do a lot of events with the lab art collective which is will whitaker's who's a brewer here runs a collective of it's dozens of they have a lot of members it's a lot of artists at the university that um they all kind of pull their artwork together and then they'll rent spaces and mm -hmm. have art pop-up events mm -hmm. those events bring in like hundreds of people so we're gonna do um a really big uh local art event with the lab collective um so this artist collective um and uh, we're gonna do, you know, it's gonna be a lot like our other events. So there's gonna be custom glassware. And uh, one thing I'm, I'm stoked for is we found this company that prints um, like custom lab glass. Uh, Cause you know, it's the lab artist collective. Oh wow. Uh, so and building. we'll be drinking out of, everyone can uh, drink <laughs> out of, uh, of, of little uh, beakers, laboratory beakers. That'll be neat. The Brewing Company logo. <laughs> and, and the lab logo. Yeah, it'll be really fun. Yeah, it sounds do like it. a special beer for the event as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, it may be a small West Virginia brew pub, but there is no lack of activity here. Absolutely not. Yeah. There's a lot going on with and these. And I sure thank you guys for sharing a, a lot of insight into how you do your business. You've been very open, and I, I love what I've heard, taking care of your employees, all of your community involvement, the art, everything that works together to make these crazy beers yes it, it's been great it's you guys have really given us a lot of information that i know that our listeners are going to want to hear and Good. thank you very much for your time today yeah thank yeah, you guys thank for coming you. out we appreciate it and we're going to be taking just a brief turnaround here and we'll if you want to stay on and listen we're going to do some beer tasting be right back we are back and we are going to sample a beer from from morgantown brewing company we've got chris defazio and cody cheesebro back with us so they're going to tell us about the beers we're going to be sampling today yeah um so first one here is uh constant comments um this is uh another one of our um fruit sours um it's a pretty easy drinking uh 5.2 percent um there's a fair amount of uh, fruit puree in this, but um, there's also there's also spices. So um, there's cara orange um, and cranberry for the fruit purees, and then there's uh, some cinnamon. So it, the the inspiration behind this is sort of um, like a, a a warm, you know, comforting winter beer, um, but like a winter sour based on uh, based on the constant comments tea from Bigelow Tea. All right, <laughs> let's nice. take a drink. See what Cheers. we taste. Definitely mm. get a lot of cinnamon out of that. Yeah, the spices come through first, don't they? Mm -hmm. But the fruit's back there strong. Yeah. It's oh, a yeah. surprisingly small amount of cinnamon. It takes not very much cinnamon at all to I completely spice a whole batch. <laughs> you'd be amazed at how little it actually yeah. is. There's yeah, a lot of orange with this, too. Yeah, I mean, that orange fruit comes through. I've always wondered, what is a Cara orange? Well, I've seen them in the supermarket, but are they uh, what style? Oh you man, know. I don't even know. Are they? They're darker on the inside, aren't they? Are they yeah. a navel orange? Or, yeah, but they're the darker. Flesh is darker. They're like a navel orange. Yeah, I yeah. thought they were a variety of navel. Maybe. Yeah. Are they Chinese? Yeah, and I, I think they're very. They're kind of like a, a seasonal uh, 
um, for the winter. So that, that's that's yeah. that's part of why we, we chose that one. Probably um, when they come ripe, I guess. Right. So both of these purees months. are kind of cold weather um, seasonals, the cranberry and the mm-hmm. carrot orange. Okay. So we try to we try to choose our our purees. Um, you know, in season, if, if, if possible. We chose it because all of the other types of orange were sold out. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hey, probably it, so. it certainly goes well with the cranberry and, yeah, yeah. you know, the cinnamon. Yeah. It, it blends well. Yeah. This is my favorite sour that we make because it has four adjuncts in it, but all four of the adjuncts, like any two of them, go together really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like oranges and, and vanilla go really well together. Cinnamon and cranberries are a classic. Like mm-hmm. They just kind of all, yeah. they all work. Yeah. Very nice uh, fruit punch, spiced fruit punch for winter. Mm-hmm. Gotta love the the can art by Wiz too. Oh yes, the, the little orange. He's checking his his uh, his comments on social media <laughs> with his sticker still on his head because he's so fresh. That's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> he's very fresh. Yeah. Nice. So beer number two, Cody. What do we have? Okay, this beer is called Face Tattoos Are the Future, <laughs> and this is our statement on the young people these days (laughs) and this was just canned like three days ago so this is really really fresh super fresh the main key with naming beers is just give people something fun to say because then like they had to say the funny words to the person and it like creates a memory and it 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 just ingrains itself deeper into the psyche of the person that enjoyed themselves here it's so much better than having to say all these boring names especially like old names that are in German and stuff like no one no one really wants to have to be like sounding out the names of a beer you just want something (laughs) like some goofy musical artist that you've heard of or, or some some cultural quip that you can you can get behind. Okay, and now it's time for you to tell us about the beer we have in our glass. Mm. The face tattoos of the future? Yes. Oh yeah, I didn't even tell you anything about the recipe. You did not. It's a it's actually a fairly standard hazy. It has uh, a lot of wheat. It has oats, um, a little bit of Vienna malt to give it that slight breadiness and I think it has a little bit of carapils in it to give it some foam. It's pretty much the same base that we use for a lot of IPAs. The main difference is the hop schedule for this one is all mosaic in the Whirlpool, and then it's a blend of mosaic, Simcoe, and Idaho 7 in the dry hop. Okay. It's like okay. we made the decision on that one because we, we always said, like, citra in everything, always right. citra all the time. I was, was going to ask you can, that. If, you, if the beer is 50% citra hops, it's going to taste good every single time, no right. matter what. Well, citra's magic. So we're like, okay, what are the other three that are always really, really, really good? And so we just made one that's... And what can we always get reliably? Yeah. So the idea is we can have this one that doesn't have citra and then an IPA that always does. So you don't have two IPAs that taste similar the, with on, all the time. Citra, yeah. No, yeah. that's that's a great concept. And this is one of the beers that you're hoping to continue to brew. So it's available for anyone that would come to the pub Often, yeah. anyway. So long as the hops are available on the spot market, we're going to try to keep this one on as regularly as we can. Great. So it'll be uh, part of your flagship, I guess, yeah. is what we I'm always, looking for. We always brew all of our IPAs in 10-barrel batches, so they're small batches that are gone within a couple of weeks. The idea is nobody wants to drink an IPA that's more than a month old. Right. It's, just, it's, not, it's not the same thing. You're not really getting the same product. So we, we try to always have it as fresh as we possibly can. So if, if it means that it's gone for a week here and there, then so be it. Well, Chris, Cody, we've enjoyed ourselves listening to everything that you had to tell us about your company and Morgantown Brewing Company, and we're excited and looking forward to everything that you say is up and coming and all these new crazy beers that you're doing. So thank you both for taking the time to talk with us today and showing us your brewery. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we enjoyed being on the show. Great. This brings us to the close of another podcast. 
Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads. West Virginia Beer Roads is a production of BrilliantStream.com.